From the Library of Maria Menounos, this is Book Circle Online, featuring in-depth discussion, insight, news, and commentary on all the world's leading book titles and their authors. And now, Book Circle Online. Hey, I'm Jeffrey Masters, and this is Book Circle Online. Today, we have a very special guest in the studio. It's Melissa Marr, who we all know as the best-selling author of the Wicked Lovely series, her new book is called Made for You. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. I was not expecting how scary the book was going to be. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, neither was I when I started writing oh, really? it. Yeah, no, it was one of those cases where I'd end up, um, I'd have to do something else between writing and going to bed, or I would have terrible nightmares. Oh, weird. So, yeah, no, parts of it were a little creepy. Yeah. Have you had that problem like in other your other books as well? No, I mean I almost always write at night because no one calls, no one emails. It's very peaceful. Sure. <laughs> and so, um, so night writing is my thing. And what I like to do is I like to go to sleep after I've finished for the day because then I dream about my book, and so I can wake up and I've got new ideas and I'm ready to go. But with this one, especially when I wrote the killer's point of view, that wasn't so much of an option. Yeah, that must was that like emotionally hard to like live with? It it actually was because to do this, I mean my big inspiration for this is that I had a stalker. Right. Um and so I was calling up a lot of the feelings and the memories from from that experience and you know, and then it's three, four o'clock in the morning and the dogs need to pee, which means I've got to go out in the dark and we live in a rural area. And so I'd go outside with the sort of like, please, no stalkers, please, no killers. It was a little, it was a little creepy sometimes. Yeah. Do you mind if I ask how long ago the stalker was? About 15 years. Oh, okay. Because I'm wondering like as a public figure, is it hard having like published schedules and calendars? <laughs> you know, I think about that because, you know, they never arrested him. Oh. Um, and it was one of those things where it was 911 calls and 911 calls. And my first ever appearance in media was a newspaper quote where they misquoted me by me saying, I got me a gun. Oh, great. Um, and then after that, it says professor of English, um, which <laughs> was not precisely what I said, but it was it was the sentiment. Um, and so, so yeah, I think about that. Um, and it, it's funny because I was talking to a, a friend um, about how easy it would be to kidnap authors. You know, our schedules are public. Right. Not that I recommend doing it, okay? Right. But our schedules are public. And when we come off the planes, we go to the man in the suit that has our name on a placard. And I was just like... We're really easy targets. And you're just trusting that man. We're just assuming, especially because if you go to a couple cities, like the last time when I did tour for um, Carnival of Secrets, um, you know, I was gone for like 25 out of 30 days for that month. And after a couple cities, you don't know where you are. You just look for the man with your name on a placard and you just go with him. Oh, right. And assume he's not a serial killer. And then your family assumes, oh, she's so busy. She's in cold. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Oh, that's not good to think about. No, it's really not. But those are the things you think about when it's 3 a.m. and you're standing in the dark after being inside the head of a serial killer. Right. So what made you want to translate like your experience into the like high school experience? Well, I think it was one of those things where I've always wanted to do contemporary. I read a lot of contemporary. And so, I mean, I love folklore and I love fantasy, but I read it and I'd been asking for a number of years, can I, can I do a contemporary? Oh, yeah. And I had started this one and my editor's like... Well, because I had just, I was in the hospital with my baby, and she says, what about that contemporary you were talking about? And I was like, yes. So it's a book I've been thinking about for a while, and it just made sense to me to think about being that young and that vulnerable. I mean, for me, I was I was in my 20s. I was living in North Carolina, um, living alone. And so, but you think about those things. I'm like, okay, so at that age when you're young and it, you trust the people around you and you don't think about things like all the things that can go wrong that oh, you start right. thinking about when you're like a mom. 
So it just made sense to me to make it for younger readers. Oh, and then it allows like, the main character to be a little more like rash and like, yes. oh, that's interesting. Yeah, in theory, once you're grown up, you're a little more, I don't know, rational. Right. Oh, okay. That's really interesting. Now, speaking of being misquoted, <laughs> yes. did I read that you said you do not like writing in like present, like contemporary, like you'd prefer like the fantasy and folklore? No. Oh, okay. no, no. I mean, I, I like, I mean, I don't stay in a genre. My, my debut adult book won Goodreads Best Horror. Right. I've got a picture book coming. I have a children's series. I have this, which is contemporary. Um, I'd love to do a historical thriller. I mean, I don't want to ever be in a box. Right. Um, I think my readers often prefer me to get into a box um, because then you know a Melissa Marr book will be X. And I don't think you can say that right now because I don't stay put very well. Right. So didn't you don't stick in any kind of genre while you're reading then? Oh, God, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> <look horrified>. no <laughs> I, just, like, I, I just don't understand that. You know, I don't um, I don't want to stick in a genre when I with music, with with theater, with anything. I mean, life is about experiences. And if you just stick with one category, all these things over here, you're going to miss. Right. That's no good. Okay. No. Um, so in your other works, you write out fairies, F-A-E-R-Y. Uh-huh. Um, what is the difference for okay. you? Well, fairy with the F-A-I-R-Y right. is fairy tale. That's our sort of Disney. That's our Cinderella. It's our Snow White. We think of fairy tale. Yeah. And we think of sweet and light, um, which is – there's actually a really interesting article by um, a folklorist called uh, Jack Zipes about the Disneyfication of folklore. Oh. Um, and it talks about that. It talks about how we pull out the teeth to make things a little bit more sanitized. You know, it's a really, and it's interesting because a lot of the old folklore is so very dark. Right. I mean, when I, when I do fairies spelled the way they're traditionally spelled, what I'm talking about is the old folklore. I'm talking about the fact that we call them the good neighbors because if we call them what they really are, They'll smite us, um, and that's not something we want. So it's very much trying to go back to the, the roots of that. I mean, I love Disney stories too, um, but I think that I, I think there's something kind of interesting about the darkness and the teeth. So that's like the PG version, is like the like F A I R Y. Yeah, kind of. Mm-hmm. Okay, I remember like I mean everyone knows like the original Little Mermaids and Snow Whites, and they're they're like horror. Oh stories. gosh, yeah, Cinderella. You know the sisters aren't trying to put their shoe on and it pops off in this cute little comical way. They're slicing off their toes, they're right. slicing off their heels. It's and if you think about it, it's the kind of things that men and women both do today to be perceived as more beautiful. And so if we keep the original version where we're cutting off toes and heels, I think that's a lot more applicable and it makes us think more than the cute little shoe pops off. Shoe pops off is funny. Right. But the fact that we're willing to deform ourselves, whether it's through steroids, excessive exercise, crash diets, all the things we do to our bodies to make other people find us attractive is what the stepsisters were doing in order to lure in the prince. And that's the old lore. And so when I want to write, I want to write something that's a little bit more, a little less funny, a little bit darker. Sure. And yet Eva, the main character, like comes away from a car crash, scarred and like almost disfigured. Mm -hmm. Was that like your throwback to that? You know, I found that really interesting because several people have asked in interviews about her not being beautiful anymore. And I I felt like saying, I think you just missed something. Um, because the <laughs> right. fact that she's scarred doesn't make her any less beautiful. Scars are like tattoos. They're roadmaps of our experience. Right. And that's a really hard truth. And I was asking a young woman to come to terms with that truth 
in this book. And because I think it's something we need to hear. I think the things that happen to us, whether they disfigure us the way Eva was, or it's something like I have uh, tattoos and I have um, scars. The reason I got tattoos was because I had all sorts of scars from surgery. And I wanted wanted to have a mark on me that was my choice because it made me feel ugly. Sure. And so I put tattoos on. And so it was very much a case of realizing that beauty is not just about having that skin that we were had when we were infants because life leaves marks on us and I think that's right. kind of powerful oh and so people were translating since she in the beginning said she's not pretty mm-hmm. that they just like carry that on it's like yeah she's got a couple scars that doesn't make her less beautiful in fact it oh, makes her no. more beautiful because she just overcame this incredible thing and is willing to do these things for the people she loves the boys she loves her best friend her family she's willing to take these risks and I think that makes her more beautiful right. focusing on a scar on your face is totally missing what beauty means huh. now Eva is she almost died she's seeing visions of death everyone around her is dying is death something that you think about a lot yes okay <laughs> I <laughs> Do you want to think about it a little longer? <laughs> no. no, I was um, when I was in my twenties. I had a brush with cancer, um, and it um, it changed. Hence the scars. I had a number of surgeries. It changed my outlook on life. Oh wow! Um, and when you start thinking, you know, hey, this could be it. Um, you really start thinking about, is what I'm doing with my life today a good thing? Is what I'm doing tomorrow a good thing? What do I really want? Um, I have a, a very dear friend who's currently, she's my age, um, and she was diagnosed with stage 4 colon cancer. And, you know, if instead of living her life now, she was waiting till she hit retirement, she would never have lived, you know, because she she... She might win. I hope she wins, but there's a chance she won't. And that means that if you postpone everything till retirement, you're, you're missing life now. So I think about death in terms of not a bad thing, but in terms of a reminder that we should be living. Oh, really? And is it okay? Do you, are you everything fine now with your, your health? Um, that, that particular issue is resolved. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I thought it was so interesting that, um, judge, the stalker, he, well, he's like literally crazy. Yeah. <laughs> he's not like clinically, he hasn't been to the doctor, but he's crazy. But he could, he should. Right. And he's saying, why did you uh, want him to use religion to rationalize everything? Uh, because I think we live in a world where religion is a topic that I think a lot of people are uncomfortable talking about. Um, like death. Like death. Um, we, we live in a world where people kill each other. We can look at the news even this week. People are dying for religious beliefs. Um, beautiful religious texts, whether it's, you know, the Bible, the Quran, the Bhagavad Gita, um, all of these beautiful books, people sometimes will take text from them and they'll misinterpret it to, because we need things to justify the things we do that are wrong. Um, and I think that it's an awkward subject because if I say that I have a problem with, say, people being beheaded for being Christian, um, that makes it seem like I have a problem with that religion, which is not true. Right. And and I think that I think we're so uncomfortable talking about faith that I felt like, you know, I want to talk about it. Um, I, I like to I like to go where I'm not supposed to go. That's the easiest way to make me do something. And you know, there's a lot of we don't talk about religion, and I think we should. So you like. Okay. You think we need to talk about everything we're not talking about. <laughs> These are also very, like, sexual high schoolers. Yeah, yeah. Know. But no, I mean, they, um, they're, they're, they're hormonal. It's like, it's real. Sure. 
Yeah. No, I mean, going off that, like the Eva Judge, Eva Rob, Eva Nate, these love triangles, is that something that we're conditioned to, like, look for after Twilight? You know, it's funny because when I heard about a love triangle, I was a little alarmed because I didn't think there was one in the book. It Um, wasn't, like, Pride and Prejudice style. Right, but but I'm like, so the triangle is between the boy she likes and the boy who wants to kill her. And and I'm like, okay, that's (laughs) not a triangle. You know, and it's funny because I've seen some of these blogs where, like, the tagline, one wants to kiss her, one wants to kill her. And people are like, well, clearly you picked the one that wants to kiss her. I'm like, yes, that's true. But she's not actually picking. Right. You know, and I think some of it is, okay, so being a teenager or honestly being in your 20s, being single means you're going to notice more than one person at a time. Right. Um, you're going to go out and you're going to say, oh, and that's going to happen. Okay, and I think that it's I think it's weird that we refer to it as triangles because I think it's just the human condition. We notice pretty things. Sometimes they're people, sometimes they're architecture. Sometimes it's, you know, a sunset. And the idea that all of that is some sort of, you know, literary twist or trope is is I, I don't agree. Oh, so it's definitely something we're like society on the whole is like reading into. I think they so. want the team. Yeah, no, clearly, Edward. like, and it's funny, like in in Wicked Lovely, there was all this stuff about the triangle. I'm like, there was never a triangle. I mean, I was clear in the first book where we were going. I mean, that to me, there was never a triangle. But people impose it because they've been trained. And right now, I do think Twilight has been a factor in that. Interesting. But I also think we we have this sort of um, lie to ourselves. We say that when you are in love, you don't notice other people um, and I, I don't know that that's actually true I adore my husband I love him we have three children um, I would never leave him however that doesn't mean that when I'm walking around and someone beautiful walks by I don't say wow that person is beautiful and so I think this notion that we can only notice one person at a time is I think also a factor in our in our seeing triangles where they're not right. I don't know that that's something we're going to get over fast. No, of course not. Of course not. We're we're trained to believe in the, you know, you have a destined mate, you have your your soulmate. I mean, yeah. that's that's what media has taught us. Yeah, and I feel like it's easy for high schoolers like the characters to believe that like it's like this one love or nothing at all. Right. The events of the story were fast. I was shocked. I mean, you dated the chapters, like day 15, I believe. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh man, that's like R&J status. Yeah. It's, it's really, it's, it's been really fun for me to realize too that, you know, that, that timing was, was, was a hard part because, you know, my character, okay, so my character at the beginning, this is no spoiler, my character gets injured. Right. And she's in the hospital. Well, I emailed this police officer for, for assistance to make sure I was doing the investigation right. The same day I emailed, there was a girl that was in the same accident in his county. There was a girl hit by a car, hit and run, that had the traumatic brain injury and the the fractured femur. And it was so bizarre to me. But so I'm looking at her case and how long she's in the hospital. But this is a book. Right. And in book timeline, I can't have my character in the hospital for six weeks. Right. So you had to tinker a little bit to find ways to work with that and find workarounds. And part of the reason Eva's so affluent is because I needed her family to be able to afford her to be able to have at-home care because I couldn't keep her in the hospital for so long. Oh. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the timeline is very much a sort of working with the facts you have. Sure. My friend's a TV writer, and um, she had, like, a character get shot, and, of course, then they do the monologue, and then they die. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I understand, but that's, like, four more minutes of, like, I'm okay, but I need to say this poem. Mm-hmm. And she was like, I know, but this is TV. Yep. And I was like, that actually makes a lot of sense. Well, and if you think about that in the fight scene, I, that's actually one of my big challenges. My husband's a retired Marine, um, and so I know how... 
um, fights happen, right? Plus, I bar- I bartended in a <laughs> I, I ran a biker bar, so you saw a lot of fights. Okay, they don't happen over pages upon pages with slow down, but it, we are taught by film that they do. I mean, it's it's all this sort of there's camera angles and there's slowing it down and there's the dramatic music and there's all that stuff. So I get to a book and I write my fight scene and it's like boom because that's how a fight happens. And my yeah. editors all say, no. You need to slow the fight down. And it's like, but that's not how fights really happen. And they're like, but that's what readers want. Because we've we've become accustomed to fights being these sort of long things that in reality they're not. Oh, weird. Um, going off of the police officer that had like the same mm-hmm. accident, when were you writing this? Was this last spring? <laughs> um, <laughs> I have a follow-up to that. Yeah, question. <laughs> no, I, I've tried to look. Um, so I started it quite a long time ago, but I was writing the bulk of it when I got out of the hospital with the baby, and the baby is 21 months old, so I would have been writing the bulk of it 18 months ago. Okay. Because I'm wondering, um, there was that news story last year about the three women that were held captive in Ohio by the man like uh, Ariel Castro, mm-hmm. I believe. I remember that. Um, a lot of this, and I was didn't know if those was like, going on the same time you were writing, because a lot of the circumstances, like details of like the women being like locked up and like chained to the wall and like abuse were like things that the main character was, you know. Yeah, that would have been after, I believe. Oh, interesting. Um, I remember seeing that. The, the, I was wondering if that was like an influence at all. No. Um, the, uh, this is why sometimes I like the written one because then I could say, do I really want to answer that? Okay, but we're live, so I'll just sure. say it this way. Um, the being chained and left up was actually based on my ex. Um, wow. I, I had dated a man who left me chained up in an apartment um, as a sort of thing. Um, he, I didn't know he was unstable when we went out. Um, he left me chained up in the apartment, went out for cigarettes. Um, and so that, that part of it was very much, um, based on my own experience of being left in manacles in the house. Yeah. So no, that wasn't the media. That was... (laughs) That was my disreputable youth. So when everyone's <clears throat> reading into books about personal lives, it's... <laughs> you know, typically not. You know, it's yeah. funny. And, and you don't think about it when you're writing it. Like, I never... I mean, like, I was like, yeah, I know what it feels like to be stalked and it's something to write about. Sure. But then afterwards, and people were asking me questions, and I was like, yeah, no, that's... You know, when I got to that place and I decided to take someone captive, when I was taken captive, this is what they did. Therefore, I'll use it. And so it was more a case of I could research it or I knew what it actually felt like. So that's what I used. But it was never like a plan. It's like the stuff we know goes in or when we don't yeah. know it, we put a blank and say research, fill in data, which I do often. But then um, in this case, it just happened to be something I knew. Yeah. Um, you said earlier that you dream and that gives you ideas. Mm-hmm. Is that like, can you explain that a little bit more for us? Like, I'm wondering, is that like character, like line by line? Scenes. scenes. I dream scenes. Wow. Um, yeah, no. And it's funny because I, I, I have this theory, which I, I don't think science, um, I don't know if science would back it up. If they have, I don't know about it. But I think the same thing that causes our dreams is the same place our creativity exists as a writer. Because what I find is if I go too many days without writing, I start having nightmares again. And so the first time I I started writing when I was a kid because I had really violent nightmares. And that was my sister, Elaine Peters, sent me to the library and said, you need to write. Thank God for her. Yeah, I know. It's it's (laughs) one of those things where either she's like, you're either destined to be a writer or Satan is after you. Either way, I think you should write down what you're thinking. Yeah, then we'll talk. (laughs) Yeah. And so that's why I started writing was to keep away nightmares. And as I've gotten older, the more I write, 
um, I don't dream. Like, if I dream, it's about my characters. That's where my brain is. When I'm in the middle of drafting a book, the only thing I dream is about my characters. Wow. Um, and then when I'm done, if I go too many days without not writing, I start having really vivid dreams again. Once you turn in your book, do you stop dreaming about the characters? Usually. Um, the Wicked Lovely characters I didn't, which is how we ended up with five books. And, oh. <laughs> you know, because <laughs> oh, they were God. still talking. Um, They're so, in your head. Yeah, they were there. Wow. So I'm curious, have you, if, whether or not you've always wanted to be a writer or not, because I know you did not study writing in college. No, I've never taken a writing course in my life. Right. Um, <laughs> um, I wanted to be a mom okay. above all else. Um, and I wanted to teach English and I wanted to write books. Um, I was 12 when I decided those were my three life goals. That same sister, Sister Elaine Peter, she says, you know, you're good at this telling stories thing, so um, maybe you should think about it. And I started yeah. thinking about it, and I was like, so if I'm a writer, I could travel. And um, <laughs> I lived in a small rural town, and the idea of travel was this sort of, you know, golden grail exciting. Yeah. Um, so I knew from the time I was 12 that that's what I wanted to be. But um, I had this theory and I don't know where my theories come from sometimes, but I decided I had to be 40 to write. Sure. And so um, that was my plan. But then my husband was deployed. Uh, he was over um, for OIF. He's a retired Marine. Obviously, at the time, was not retired. And uh, I was 30. And uh, he was deployed, and I couldn't sleep. And um, so the doctor had offered me sleeping pills, and um, I took enough illegal drugs in my misspent youth that I didn't. I don't like taking medicine. Um, the idea of anything that could potentially be addictive sort of scares me, and okay. sleeping pills can. So my husband called from Iraq and said, why don't you write a book? And so I wrote Wicked Lovely. Wow. So it was entirely, you know, I had a plan that I'd be 40, but my husband was like, I know you're not 40, but sometimes you can change the plan. Oh, you still had that plan Oh, at yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, it wasn't like a child of Yeah, fantasy. no, no, no. <laughs> no, I was 30 and I was like, I can't write. And he's oh, like, weird. okay, this is a little weird. Oh, uh, that's like for me. I think like writers have to have glasses. So like if I'm going to write, I'm going to wear my glasses. It makes sense. <laughs> See, these are perfectly fine quirks to have. You just want to channel it in, you know. Yeah, you do. <laughs> well, and it's a case of, you know that block of saying I couldn't do it would have meant that I couldn't do it until I was like, okay, my husband's right. Maybe I could do this. And, you know, he was right. It worked out okay. Wow. I love that you, it's like a, your solution for dreams. That's like bad dreams. <laughs> uh, well, no, I mean, just in yeah. general, I don't, I don't dream when I'm, when I'm drafting, Wow. which is why books happen faster. Sure. You know? I don't think that's uncommon though. I don't I've think read. so either. Yeah. I know that, um, I look up to Tony Kushner a lot mm -hmm. and he was, he like dreamed full scenes mm -hmm. of Angels of America and then just was like type it out as he remembered yeah. it. No, that's, I mean, that's what you do when you wake up in the middle of the night. I, I sleep with a, a notebook, a pen and a laptop beside the bed. Oh, and depending on how alert I am and if the light's going to bother the husband, you either get the laptop or the notebook. <laughs> um, you know, when I was in the middle of the Wicked Lovely series, he bought me a book light because he's like, okay, seriously, you wake me up too often writing. Um, so, yeah. That's very supportive. He's very supportive. He's mm -hmm. awesome. So are do, are you an outliner as a writer? How do dreams fit into that? They don't I don't outline. <laughs> no, I don't outline anything. That's because you didn't take a class. Exactly. <laughs> well, you know, for some people that works really well. Um, uh, but I think for me, like, I don't write linearly. Like, I write the scenes as I know them. And oh. so, like, when I wrote Made For You, because we've got several points of view, when I was in Judge's head, I was in Judge's head. And that meant that I'd write Judge, Judge, Judge. And then the next day, when I was all creeped out by having written so much Judge, sure. I'd go in and I'd write Eva's scenes, and you put them in between. And sometimes that means I need Judge's scene over here, or I need it here. 
but I don't know what's going to happen in this one until I've written this one. So I might write this one and then go back to this one. Oh, I'm extremely wow. chaotic in my process. Yeah, I've never heard of anybody doing that. Well, I guess that makes more sense in the point of view. And it works for me. Yeah. Have you, you know? written first person like point of view before? This is the first first person. Oh, wow. Did you like that? I, I did, actually. Okay. Um, I really liked doing first person. I really liked the present tense. I felt like it made people come in. But the reason I liked it is because this story was about getting under your skin and making you uncomfortable, yeah. which meant that I needed the immediacy of first person and present tense. And so the sort of language limitations of first person are different than with third person because with first person, um, there are phrases I use as a person that I need to be sure I'm not using in each character's voice because I want each character to sound distinct. Right. In third person, that's easier because the, the, the text surrounding the dialogue is the part that it can sound the same. Oh, it's the same line, just described differently. Right. Almost. Oh, okay. It's totally about making sure the voices work. And in order to do that in first person, I've got an entire chapter in that person's head, which means that I need to make sure I've got the same um, sentence structure. Does this person think in compound complex sentences or simple sentences? Does this person use fragments? Does this person use hanging prepositions? What is the what is the sort of reference for visuals? Is this person more visual, more tactile? And all of those things that you have to think about to do first person make doing multiple first person a little more challenging. On the other hand, I couldn't have made it as disturbing if I wasn't in first person. Yeah. So um, it was a totally different experience doing it. It was a lot of fun. Totally. Um, but it was very much a case where I would I would hear myself say something to my family, and my daughter would say, "So, been writing Judge today." And I'd be like, "Yes." She knows. You could tell because <laughs> my speech pattern reflected that I had been so long in that voice. Wow. And so that's not something that we would pick up as a writer or as readers. Like, oh, this ends in a preposition. It's just like on the whole, we're seeing it probably. You know, I think I think on the whole, you see it. It's it's. I mean, the consistent statement is is both flattering and unflattering that people are like, Mara does the serial killer voice very convincingly. Um, and the fact that there's an awareness that it's a different voice than Grace and of a different course. voice than Eva is a compliment. The fact that I'm a convincing serial killer is perhaps not as much of a compliment. It's for you to figure out. Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> my, my son, my son is going to turn 16 next month. And he went and he looked up all the lists of serial killer and sociopath traits. And um, he has diagnosed me as not being a sociopath. Oh, congratulations. So, yeah, I was really relieved. No, on the whole, they're vastly male, so I don't worry about that. Yeah, no, that was actually one of the things. And he's, like, asking me all these questions. I was like, what's up? And he's like, so, you know, you write the serial killer so well. I was just making sure, like, should we be concerned? Aww. And I was like, oh, sweetie, mommy's Aww. not a killer. Does but he read thanks all of your checking. work? Uh, no, most of my work has a little too much kissing for my son. Oh, sure. Yeah, no, okay. he likes more explosions, less, more monsters, less, less smoochies. He's a, he's a boy boy. Sure. <laughs> okay. So the movie has got a lot of momentum recently. Yes. Yeah. Um, how much do you love to talk about? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I asked that very question this morning because I had sure. breakfast this morning with um, my producers for Wicked Lovely. One of which is Vince Vaughn. Uh, yes. Uh, Vince was not at the breakfast. Um, what did you eat? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I had a smoothie. Sorry. I had a smoothie breakfast. Oh, how LA. Yeah, Congratulations. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, so um, Valerie, who is Vince's sister... And uh, Adam, his last name I would butcher if I tried to pronounce it. He's uh, Weta Digital. Okay, they did Lord of the Rings. They did Lord of the Rings, right. Avatar. Like, yeah, they're brilliant. Huge. Yeah, they're brilliant. Um, and their film arm, P- P- Kekko? 
I believe is how you say it. Okay. It's, it's a New Zealand bird. I apologize if I mispronounce it. It's okay. Um, I know how to spell it. Um, but so I had breakfast with them and we're going over it. And um, honestly, I was I left so elated. I called my agent. I was like, we were talking about casting. We were talking about like I feel more positive about the film now than ever before. Wow. I mean, they have just been. I mean, you really can't do better effects than Weta. I mean, no. they're the top of the line. Right. Those um, films are amazing. Lord yeah. Of the Rings. yeah. Well, and Caroline, who uh, Caroline Thompson, who did um, Edward Scissorhands, who did oh, Nightmare, Nightmare Before, Before Christmas. Christmas, she did the screenplay. Um, and I love it. You know, absolutely love it. Oh, good. Um, and we worked together. I gave her notes, and she, I mean, it was just, it was so good. Um, but and for, is Mary Heron still attached? Mary was attached, sure. and then I, she's not anymore. Okay. Um, there will be a new director. Okay. Um, and as soon as the new director. We'll book for the announcement. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, that was part of this morning's meeting. Um, and as soon as that new director is announced, everything's just going to fly. Okay. Is there one attached already? Um, we have not committed yet. Sure. Um, but so like, they're really involving you in the process. Oh, they've involved me from the beginning. They've That's been amazing, you know. But like all the directors that we're looking at right now are all people I love. Cool. Um, they're, they'd all do a great job, and it, it's fascinating to me because like it's kind of like the first person, third person thing. Like with directors, like this director would give it this flavor, and this director would make it more like this. You know, like Mary would have brought a different taste to it yeah. than. Um, the director that came after her that was never announced um, because it would have been a totally different flavor because that person brings their their interest, their vision. And so it's been really interesting to me over the six years we've been working on it. It's never once gone out of option and they've never once for a second said, we're not going to make this. I mean, it's been, this is going to get happening and they've never wavered. Wow. And so when we're looking at that, but I see these different directors and I see how it would tilt the way the movie looked or this would tilt it. And it's really intriguing to look at the process from the outsider's perspective. And are those flavors that you are like curious about, like that would be so interesting or like picking and choosing from? I think all of them would be interesting. I mean, it's one of those things where I know some people are so married to their books that they're like, oh, it's my baby. I have babies. (laughs) They check if I'm a serial killer. They, they go on trips with me. They remember to bring me new tea. Um, Notice that I haven't eaten and said, "Oh, you need more tea, mom." Oh, I mean, they they're they're you. they're good people. Um, these are books, totally different than babies. Sure. So what I want is I want someone that has a vision that applies their vision to the book in a way that will be interesting, um, in a way that my readers will hopefully like. I don't want to have like. I don't ever want like veto power, that kind of control. I like right. that they keep me updated because I think it's exciting and fun. Yeah. But I don't, I don't have any like I'm not picking the actors, I'm not picking the director. It's cool that they tell me. Occasionally, there's been a director that I've said no, please no, um, and they've listened. Wow. You know? But um, but I don't want I don't want control. Okay. How know? did were Vince and Valerie Vaughn were they just fans of the book before? You know, it, <laughs> it's kind of embarrassing. I'm I'm not a big. Um, I've watched more movies because of this book being optioned than I ever did in my life. Like, I grew up without TV. Sure. Um, but apparently Val was at a bookstore, saw it, bought it, read it, went back, bought the sequel. And so I get this call from my agent, and she says, Vince Vaughn wants to buy your book. And I was like, who's Vince Vaughn? <laughs> Okay. Do they not have bookstores where this guy lives? Oh. And, <laughs> like he wants a physical copy. Yeah. And I was like, we could send him one or something. And she's like, no, honey, he wants to buy it. And I was like, okay, I'm still confused. She said, can you can you type his name in your computer? And so I did. And it turns out he's an actor and a producer, um, which I didn't know. 
Um, and so they're like, would you, do you want to talk to him? And I was like, sure, sure. Set something up. And they're like, okay, they're here waiting now. And so literally within five minutes of me getting the call that they were interested, I was on the phone with them. Oh. And yeah, it was really like, boom, surreal. Yeah. And they explained their vision for it and it was great. And I said, sure. And then <laughs> I, I get off the phone and my agent's like, you just accepted their deal. And I was like, what do you mean? She said, you said yes. And I was like, well, yeah, they said they wanted to look at it. She said, no, you accepted an offer without us talking about terms. And I was like, oh, you really shouldn't let me talk to people. <laughs> but it worked out. They've been awesome. But it was so embarrassing because then I met Vince, right? And they knew this story. And so, like, they're sitting there. And there's Peter who was um, – he was in a – in a, a, a some sort of Christmas movie. There's a bunny suit. I don't know. Oh, Peter Billingsley is his name. I don't, I don't know. know. But there's him, and then there's Val, and they and they so they knew the story. And Vince comes in, and they're like, "Tell Vince what you said when you got the car." And he's like, "I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this." I was so embarrassed, but he was just absolute doll baby. He's so charming and sweet, and did not mock me for my lack of familiarity with movies, which was very important. So, oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, they've been just amazing. Oh, good. Yeah. So in way, way, way pre, pre, pre production. Maybe 2016 or 17. We're not setting anything in stone. We're not. Well, well. <laughs> not on this show. <laughs> I, I will say that I've seen concept art. Um, I will say that, that art is happening. Huge. I will say that the screenplay is done. I will say that... Um, I'm sure many young actresses would like kill for that role. I will say that my absolute top choice for the role, the lead role, is interested in the role and is a fan of the books. Wow. So, yeah. Wow, yeah. things are lining up. Things are really lining up and looking awesome. Great, right, wicked lovely. Looking uh, yeah. out for it. Yeah. Oh, quick question. Why did the publishers, or you probably publishers, change all of the wicked lovely title names in different countries? Oh, that's not us. That's not you at all? No, actually... Made for You is the first book I've ever written that I had title control. Oh, really? Like, title control is something that's, like, in your contract. Really? <laughs> yeah. And yeah, that yeah. applies for, like, country to country? Uh, well, it applies yeah, in general. Oh. Um, you know, okay. so there are times, like, they change it. Like, one, it's, like, Dangerous Enchantments and maybe... Yeah, I saw some. They're, like, More Than the Eye Sees, mm -hmm. Towards the Summer Light, Fatal Enchantments. Yeah. No, it's what they think is going to reach those readers. The, I don't have title control. I don't have cover control, even in the U.S. Oh, oh, you're saying <clears throat> all books, whatever. Yeah. The word Wicked Lovely. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, Wicked Lovely was one of like 300 titles that were submitted. Like, uh, the first wow. book that I've had title approval on is made for you. And that's in your contract pre-book being written. It is in my contract now. Right. You can't ever go back. <laughs> no. <laughs> but I like the title, Wicked Lovely. It was one I suggested, and they picked it, and it was good. Oh, perfect. But it was really funny, because you submit your titles, and they're like, yeah, no, that's not what we're calling it. <laughs> or you say, here's this great cover idea, and they're like, yeah, no, we don't like that. Thanks, sweetie. That's so nice. <laughs> that's so cute that you have opinions. Um, and it really varies by country. Like, some of my overseas covers, like my Japanese covers, are to die for gorgeous. Um, but they wouldn't sell in the U.S. the way they do there. I saw for know? this one, like, a girl falling into water with, like, rose petals. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's, I think, the British Before. one. Okay. Which is funny because that was actually the concept I gave my American publishers that they didn't like and I didn't even pass on to the Brits. And the Brits came to me and they're like, we have this concept. And they told me, and I was like, yeah, that's the one I sent. They're like, we never got that. And, but it was really great because the concept I liked was the concept that they liked in the UK without us, like, communicating. Wow. So, yeah. So, and you have the picture book coming out I in do. next year, is it? I do, in April. Were you, how was the art with that? Amazing. Cool. Absolutely amazing. When we, I saw it. It's very classic and just like 
like heartwarming. Yes, thank you. Um, <laughs> it was that was my goal. Is I was actually when we sold it, that was my caveat. I'm like, I don't care what you pay me. You can pay me pennies. I, I'm fine with that. What I want is I want a voice in the artist because the art is so important in a oh, picture wow. book. Um, and the picture book was really important to me because, I mean, I literally wrote it when I was in the hospital with my son. Um, when my son was born, um, his birth mother was an addict, is an addict. And so he was born with one of the worst cases of neonatal abstinence syndrome that the hospital's seen. And they have the highest number of neonatal abstinence syndromes in the country. So he was actually part of a study and the rest of this. So he's had a really rough time. Wow. Um, and so the book can be read for any child, but the, the different the different animals in it, the different sequences, are uh, metaphors for the symptoms that he was going through, the trembling, the howling. Um, so he's trembling like a bunny, he's howling oh, like wow. a wolf, and it's all about that. So I can talk to him about his early experience. And so I wrote it on my iPhone while I was in the hospital with my baby. And uh, and the publisher's been great, the artist wow. has been amazing, and I'm just thrilled thrilled with the process writing is just like a coping mechanism for lack of a better word yeah it kind of is it kind of is i mean wicked lovely was written for my daughter asia and my middle grade north series was written for my son dylan and bunny room my picture book was written for my son Caden. so you know that one was written for me but in a lot <laughs> of cases you know they're for my kids oh my god any other books coming up in the works hmm um so I've got Bunny Roo. I've got the third book in the North series. Like I said, that I wrote for Dylan. That's the third in a trilogy I wrote with my friend Kelly Armstrong. Um, um, that's it's a little more like a for a male audience might be more attached to it. Is that why you did the M A more, not Melissa? Um, I did that because I didn't want young readers reading Made for You or Wicked Lovely, oh. and so my concern was. They read this book, and those are very clean books. There's no cussing. There's no there's no violence. I mean, there's, yeah. you know, violence appropriate for age. But, I mean, it's for the Harry Potter age crowd. Um, and grown-ups read them. Teenagers read them. And that's great. But I didn't want those 9, 10-year-olds then to go read a book like Ink Exchange that talks about a girl recovering from rape. Sure. Or a girl like Made for You that has serial killers. Because I'm a mom, first and foremost. And so we chose to use our initials because Kelly also, I mean, she does The Women of the Other World, um, and she has YA books. And so we really didn't want to have young readers go in and say, oh, Melissa Marr, I read her, and then pick up something that was utterly inappropriate for their sure. age. So it was kind of like to make it easier for parents. Yeah. Um, that's, I've never heard of a, uh, that reason. <laughs> yeah. That's wonderful. No, I mean, and, and there is like one of the main characters is a girl. So the book is told from a girl's point of view and two boys' point of view. So it's very much for girls and boys. Um, so it's not a boy book per se. Sure. It's an adventure book. But, um, you know, it's an adventure book without violence or serial killers. That exists. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you so much. This was so much fun. Me, me too. I yeah. had a great time. I'm like, this is, thank this you. Is good thank you. Yeah. Thank you. All right, everybody at home. We'll be back next week with legendary journalist Gail She. Until then, you can find all of our content on YouTube, on iTunes, and of course, BookCircleOnline.com. Thanks. Thank you. From managing editor Jason Squamata, executive producers Maria Menounos, Phil Svitek, and Kevin Undergaro, we would like to thank you for tuning in to Book Circle Online. For more discussion, go to bookcircleonline.com. And if you have comments, questions, or book title suggestions, write us at info at bookcircleonline.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this is Book Circle Online. BCO, join the circle.